0: Giving in America, a hellish Thanksgiving in Walkershire, Wisconsin, where a few days ago the two Americas collided, the America of Christmas parades and dancing grannies and happy grade schoolers with pom-poms and Santa hats. And the other America, the hateful America, of snarling monsters aided and abetted by a sick culture that gives them pitiful pseudo-rationales for their grievances and psychoses. This Thanksgiving, keep in your prayers the families of Dancing Grannies Virginia Sorensen, Leanna Owen and Tamara Durand. 81-year-old Wilhelm Hospel, 52-year-old Jane Coolidge and 8-year-old Jackson Sparks. They went to a Christmas parade in the American Midwest and were murdered in cold blood. Keep in your prayers too all the injured, including all the children moaned down, many in critical condition, like 11-year-old Jessalyn of the Walkershire dance team. There will be many empty seats at the Thanksgiving table, and an emptiness at the heart of Thanksgiving for many years to come. For what exactly are those families meant to give thanks? The faint-hearted types at CNN and the like more or less buried the story. The gung-ho types at MSNBC didn't pause a moment before getting back to all the oozing pus about white privilege, pumping 24-7 the toxins that of one half of the country hating the other, and a significant number of that one half wanting to do something about it, or at least to cheer on those who do. Like Mary Lemansky, social media director for the Democrat Party of DuPage County, Illinois. That's about a hundred miles due south of Waukesha, but uh, too far for Mary Lamansky to see the slaughtered Christmas paraders as her fellow human beings, her fellow Americans. On Twitter, she called their murder, quote, karma. For the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict and sneered, you reap what you sow, Wisconsin. And when her fellow Twitterers objected, she took refuge in self-pity. Nobody cared about me like my whole life. My mom used to leave me for hours at a time alone in my playpen. I've put out music for 20 years. Nobody gave a bleep. Why do people all of a sudden care about a stupid remark? I can't believe my 15 minutes of fame is for this bleep. Some people, like Daryl Brooks, want to kill all the white people. Others, including many whites like Mary Lemansky, just want to sit back and enjoy it without whiners bugging them. Not a lot to be thankful for this year. Nevertheless, this Thanksgiving is the quarter centenary of that first Thanksgiving in 1621. Are you enjoying all the anniversary jubilations on ABC, CBS, NBC, NPR? Oh, what's that? There aren't any. Oh, well, we'll try to make up for it here, where Thanksgiving is not a source of shame, but the most American of holidays. 400 years ago, 11th December 1621, Edward Winslow wrote from Plymouth in the New World, Back to England. Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling, so that we might, after a more special manner, rejoice together, after we had gathered the fruit of our labours. They four in one day killed as much fowl as, with a little help beside, served the company almost a week, at which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms, many of the Indians coming amongst us, and among the rest, their greatest king, Massasoit, with some ninety men whom for three days we entertained and feasted and they went out and killed five deer which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others and although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us yet by the goodness of god we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty We have found the Indians very faithful in their covenant of peace with us, very loving and ready to pleasure us. We often go to them and they come to us. Some of us have been 50 miles by land in the country with them. There is now great peace amongst the Indians themselves, which was not formerly. Neither would have been but for us. And we, for our parts, walk as peaceably and safely in the wood." as in the highways in England. We entertain them familiarly in our houses, and they as friendly bestowing their venison on us. Edward Winslow's letter home four centuries ago. His descendants in the New World include the first lady of a murdered president, Lucretia Garfield, and a self-detonating presidential candidate, Howard Dean. More on that later in our show. Edward Winslow survived the voyage of the Mayflower and that first awful winter and prospered in the New World. He travelled up the Connecticut River almost as far, not quite But almost as far as my pad, he died of yellow fever and was buried in the Caribbean off Jamaica in 1655. Had there been a Doc Fauci in England in 1620, he would have advised against the Mayflower setting sail. And had there been a Governor Newsom or a Governor Cuomo or a Governor Whitmer to listen to him in 1620, they would have prevented the Mayflower from setting sail. Sorry, it's too risky, they would have cried. And they would have been right. There were 102 passengers, only one died on the voyage, which is amazing, as they must surely have reflected on four centuries ago at Plymouth Rock. It was too amazing to last, of course. Winter came first, and by the end of March 1621, half the passengers were dead. But the risk was worth it for the chance to live as free men, with freedom of religion, freedom of association, freedom of movement, freedom of speech. All the things that the virus and the lockdown and big tech and big government have seriously clobbered these last couple of years. As I've said on TV and radio, a risk-averse society is a dying society, a society in terminal decline. I referred to Thanksgiving as the most American of holidays. We have a Thanksgiving in Canada on America's Columbus Day, if you'll forgive the expression. And it's uh, a more modest affair, particularly if you've spent most of your recent Northern Thanksgivings, as I have in recent decades, in Quebec, where the Francophones are are largely indifferent, I would say, to giving thanks for all the blessings of Canada. I shall never forget my first Thanksgiving in America. I was a bachelor, all on my own some. And I'd just bought a pad in New Hampshire, and in a small town everyone knows that someone bought the old such-and-such place. And then they find out that the someone is a single guy. And I was stunned when uh, three or four people I'd exchanged a few pro-forma pleasantries with at the general store... Uh, invited me for Thanksgiving dinner because they didn't like the idea of a chap with no family being all alone on the big day. I was overwhelmed by the generosity of that invitation. A few years later when I had a bit of a profile in America and some Fellows over here used to read my columns on the internet in the London or Canadian papers. I was uh, flattered to be invited by a serious A-list movie star to spend Thanksgiving with him and his family. That's quite something. It really is. But it didn't touch me in the way of that first Thanksgiving, sitting in a big rambling kitchen in an old weathered farmhouse, with neighbors whose families had been there for two centuries but made some guy who'd been there for 20 minutes feel he was part of the family. I'll never forget that. Even if the haters of America, the ones who give intellectual sucker to that mass killer, that Christmas parade, kill off Thanksgiving for good. We don't have a formal Thanksgiving Song of the Week on this show because there are no Thanksgiving standards other than Jingle Bells, which was written for Thanksgiving, as you'll know if you've read my book, A Song for the Season. But it's not about being thankful per se. Irving Berlin had a crack at that for Holiday Inn, as we'll hear later, courtesy of Bing Crosby. But unlike Easter Parade and White Christmas, Berlin didn't close the deal on the Thanksgiving holiday, as he did on the others. I notice an uptick in Thanksgiving songs in recent years. Maybe it's because the Christmas songbook has become a complete wasteland in the last uh, three or four decades. Uh, So this Thanksgiving song is by Mary Chapin Carpenter. And as I've had cause to complain about many contemporary songs in recent months i wish the tune were a little better but there are a couple of fragments of the lyric that take me back to my first memories of small town new hampshire and all the things that the lockdown enforcers have made so tenuous and conditional in recent years crowded parlors and baking smells and even before any of that parking the car and opening the door and hearing the sound of laughter drifting across the chill night air. Mary Chapin Carpenter.
1: Grateful for each hand we hold, gathered round this table, from far and near we try. Blessed that we are, able. grateful for this sheltered place with light in every window. Saying, Welcome, welcome, share this feast, come in away from. loving kind on um. Keep up to date with the past on the Hundred Years Ago show with Mark Stein.
0: Quarantines, inflation, arson, and myocarditis. It's Thanksgiving 1921.
1: A hundred years
0: from today. President Harding's Thanksgiving proclamation notes how blessed America is. Mr. Harding says, Ours has been a favoured nation in the bounty which God has bestowed upon it. The great trial of humanity, though indeed we bore our part as well as we were able, left us comparatively little scarred. It is for us to recognise that we have been thus favoured, and when we gather at our altars to offer up thanks, we will do well to pledge in humility and all sincerity, our purpose to prove deserving. Now therefore I, Warren G. Harding, President of the United States of America, hereby designate Thursday the 24th day of November to be observed by the people as a day of thanksgiving, devotion and prayer, urging that at their hearthsides and their altars they will give thanks for all that has been rendered unto them and will pray for a Continuance of the divine fortune which has been showered so generously upon this nation. The President and Mrs Harding are passing their first Thanksgiving Day in the White House quietly, having dinner without guests, but they did attend morning service at the Calvary Baptist Church and Mr Harding then played golf with Secretary of State Hughes in a rainstorm so bad it was impossible to say who won. In an exclusive, the Pensacola Journal of Florida presented its readers with a Thanksgiving column by President Harding's Turkey, quote, Before I go, I have something to say. Not so long ago, when I was selected to come to Washington for a session with President Harding, I made arrangements to write my story after seeing him. But I don't believe that I'm going to be in a position to talk then. That's why I'm doing it now. Snatches of conversation that I have picked up here have convinced me of several things. Harding, it seems, wants me to join the Department of the Interior. There's to be no closed-door policy in connection with my work. Everything will be on the table. I'm to figure in Harding's attempt to get Turkey and Greece together on China. And as they tell me, the boys with axes to grind do things up brown here, I suppose I'll be in for a hard time. Kind of takes the heart out of a fellow to think about it. What gets under my hide is that all year long the Republicans are satisfied with an elephant, but when a special job turns up, Harding finds he can't stomach the pachyderm any longer and sends for me. But don't interpret that as an outburst against Harding. I like him and expect to become very intimate with him why some of my ancestors were on the inside with some very noted people. I'm perfectly willing to give Harding everything I've got, even if it means my hash will be cooked later. I appreciate very much the honour that has been bestowed upon me and am trying hard not to lose my head. I'm proud of the fact that I have not cracked under the strain, but I fear that will come later. Unquote. If you like this Turkey's Pro style, don't hold your breath, waiting for a second column. (music) On this Thanksgiving Day, Marshal Foch, Supreme Allied Commander in the late World War, is visiting the United States and has issued his own Thanksgiving message as follows... On this, your day of thankfulness, I join with all my spirit in the prayers of gratitude for the blessings enjoyed by the world. My heart goes out to the members of the American Legion, whose guest I am in this country, to the millions of Americans I have seen, and to those whom I will have the pleasure of greeting. The more I see of Americans, the more I admire and respect them for their ambition, energy, and generosity of spirit. I am thankful today for being in your country, for being able to. To visit your historic shrines, for meeting Americans as I do, and hearing from their own lips their sentiments toward my beloved country, France. In Altoona, Pennsylvania, aboard his special railroad car, Marshal Foch will enjoy a real American Thanksgiving dinner of turkey and all the, quote, fixings, an American word the great war hero was delighted to learn.
1: Not fun, Not much money, oh, but honey, ain't we got fun? The rent's unpaid, dear, we haven't a fuss. But smiles are made, dear, for people like us. In the winter, in the summer, don't we have fun? Times are bomb and getting bummer. Till we have fun. There's nothing sure. The rich get rich and the poor get children. In the meantime, in between time.
0: We got Are you familiar with the term price inflation? Well, this year it has come to turkeys in many parts of America. The US Secretary of Labour, James Davis, says the price of everyone's favourite Thanksgiving feast is rocketing into the sky. I know for my part, if turkey goes to 79 cents a pound, I'll eat corn, beef and cabbage for my Thanksgiving dinner, says Mr Davis. For an affordable alternative, Some suppliers are offering chicken for 35 cents dressed or 20 cents on foot. In Chicago, however, the cost of an average Thanksgiving dinner is said to be 39 cents cheaper than last year. Thanksgiving is being celebrated in New York with a tradition unique to the city, mass begging. In Times Square, all paths leading from the subway have become toll roads, policed aggressively by extravagantly costumed boys and girls dressed in the tailcoats and crinolines of yesteryear. Subway passengers are gritting their teeth and hoping to negotiate their way through at only a few pennies per mendicant, but many New Yorkers would dearly like to be rid of this annual ritual. On the first Thanksgiving 300 years ago, the Pilgrims and the Indians celebrated together. This year, the Jews and the Christians are celebrating together as two synagogues and three churches held a joint Thanksgiving service at the Temple Israel in far Rockaway, New York. The sermon was delivered by Rabbi Landman, who has challenged Henry Ford to debate him on the subject of the famous automobile manufacturer's antipathy to Jews. The service concluded with a great American anthem. ago, Joseph Cohen, a poultry dealer, was sentenced to the electric chair for murder and was incarcerated in the death house. He received eight reprieves including one that arrives seven minutes before the appointed hour of his execution. This Thanksgiving, he was unexpectedly released from Sing Sing and ordered to face a new trial. Looking forward to dinner with his family at his attorney's house, Mr. Cohen says, Tonight I know what Thanksgiving means. My heart goes out in thanks to God for his mercy toward me. The crowd at the Jefferson Theatre on East 14th Street in New York were enjoying the usual programme of vaudeville and motion pictures when someone on the street outside noticed smoke coming out of a third floor window. The firemen decided they could contain the blaze without disturbing the patrons. However, they did advise arriving theatre-goers as they entered that the building was on fire and they should proceed at their own risk. Nonetheless, a thank Thanksgiving crowd enjoyed the flickers of the pictures and the acrobats and the jugglers unaware of the flames above them. The arsonist, 14-year-old Louis Abramowitz, said he had started the fire to see the fire engines come. Thanksgiving, a long day with elderly relatives, can be very trying for a young lad. Many children are said to be unusually restless this Thanksgiving. That's because of enforced quarantines due to the diphtheria epidemic, which, among other things, has led to an increase in child myocarditis. Nevertheless, teachers are so anxious to get their young charges back in class that in many states the traditional long Thanksgiving weekend has been cancelled and children will be in school on Friday. Day-day. Yeah. Just in time for Thanksgiving, the Allen Iron and Steel Company of Philadelphia has received a letter from the Brown Ketchum Iron Works responding to a request for illustrations of candelabras. The letter was mailed on June the 25th, 1902. And the company no longer makes candelabras or indeed exists. Nineteen and a half years is a new post office delivery record beating the postcard to Miss Sadie Gibbs of 201 West 105th Street, New York, which was mailed in 1908 and delivered just last Monday. Are you familiar with the telegraphone? It's the invention of a Danish scientist and it can record your heartbeat, breathing and other vital signs. Uh, Unfortunately, the American telegraphone company is now itself on life support and in the hands of a federal receiver following disputes between stockholders. If you're sick of turkey, how about corned beef hash? For many years, Maggie Maloney's celebrated hash, served up at Mark Hanna's house was the preferred Sunday breakfast of President McKinley and Washington's top power brokers. Maggie Maloney has now received $25,000 in the will of Senator Hannah's widow. As always on Thanksgiving, crowds are thronging to the opera. The Metropolitan is said to be headed for a $20,000 Thanksgiving Day haul, thanks to Geraldine Farrar's first performance of the season – in Madam Butterfly. On the other hand, it remains to be seen whether the show will go on at the new play The Demi-Virgin. It was closed by Pittsburgh police on the grounds of immorality, but in New York, the producer is vowing to defy the denunciations of Chief Magistrate McAdoo and keep it open. Over the river and through the wood is not as easy as it sounds. In Port Huron, Michigan... Two women were drowned and a married couple narrowly escaped to similar fate when their auto machines went through the north drawer of the Black River Bridge. Mr and Mrs Henson skidded on the icy planking, crashed through the guard gate and plunged into the river, but survived. A moment later, Mrs Minnie and Mrs Jerry's machine followed them through the broken gate into the freezing water below, the ladies were not so fortunate. And that's the way it was. Thanksgiving, 1921.
1: A hundred years from today Mark Stein's poem of the Week.
0: This Thanksgiving poem is known by one and all, at least with respect to its opening lines. But few Americans now recognize the name of the author, Lydia Maria Child. She became a writer because one day she chanced to pick up the North American Review and read an essay in it about how New England history offered rich pickings for any would-be novelist. She had never had any desire to become a writer, but she did live in New England. So immediately upon finishing her reading of the article, she sat down and wrote the first chapter of her first novel. For much of the 19th century, her fiction and her nonfiction were big sellers with the American public. She was an abolitionist and an opponent of American expansionism. She championed the rights of American Indians and of women. And these beliefs drove her journalism and percolated more obliquely through her novels. Lydia Maria Child lived all her life in Massachusetts. She was born in Medford, Uh, which is now a Boston suburb but was rather more rustic in 1802. Upon marriage, she moved to the city itself until eventually she retired to Wayland, which is more or less due west of the metropolis. She was a widely read commentator on all the serious issues of her time. For example, she and her husband edited a paper called The Anti-Slavery Standard, And it doesn't get more serious than that, not in mid-19th century America. And yet, and yet, this is what her fellow Americans remember her for. In 1844, written at the time she was editing the anti-slavery standard... She wrote a reminiscence of the thanksgivings of her childhood a third of a century earlier and how it caught the fancy of her readers. Posterity has amended it over the last 175 years. You generally hear Mrs Child's very singular would in the first line pluralised these days, in part... Because there was far more cleared land for sheep farming back then. And that cleared land was punctuated occasionally by a precisely defined particular wood. Uh, As opposed to the New England landscape today when the farms have died and the trees have reclaimed the land in one general blur of plural woods marching north to the Canadian border. And you're as likely to hear Grandfather's House referred to as Grandmother's House, presumably a silvery-haired widow woman. But then the author herself was wont to modify her versified memories as time went by, offering longer versions and shorter versions as the need arose. Uh, I've come up with something in between that I hope uh, turns out just right, really just my favourites of all her verses. First published in 1844 in Flowers for Children, Volume 2, by Lydia Maria Child, the New England boys' song about Thanksgiving Day. Over the river and through the wood to grandfather's house we go. The horse knows the way to carry the sleigh through the white and drifted snow. Over the river and through the wood to grandfather's house away. We would not stop for doll or top for tis Thanksgiving Day. Over the river and through the wood, oh how the wind does blow. It stings the toes and bites the nose as over the ground we go. Over the river and through the wood to have a first-rate play. Hear the bells ring, ting-a-ling-ding, hurrah for Thanksgiving Day. Over the river and through the wood to see little John and Anne. We will kiss them all and play snowball and stay as long as we can. Over the river and through the wood, trot fast, my dapple grey. Spring over the ground like a hunting hound for tis Thanksgiving Day. Over the river and through the wood and straight through the barnyard gate. We seem to go extremely slow, it is so hard to wait. Over the river and through the wood, now grandmother's cap I spy. Hurrah for the fun is the pudding done, hurrah for the pumpkin pie. A poem from me to you this Thanksgiving day by Lydia Maria Child. If you're wondering where Grandfather's House actually was, well, you can visit it for yourself. It's in Medford, Massachusetts, which is also where that great Thanksgiving song Jingle Bells was written about the exciting sleigh races in that town. Lydia's grandparents' home is what's now known as the Paul Curtis House on South Street, and is a handsome Greek revival mansion, as befits Mr Curtis, who was a wealthy shipbuilder. But in Lydia's childhood, it was a much more basic New England farmhouse with barnyard gate and all the rest. The river she crossed is the Mystic River, and the wood she went through is long gone, replaced by the endless sprawl of a growing state. But the house itself... Now owned by Tufts University, still stands, as does an ancient recollection of a New England childhood at the dawn of the 19th century.
1: Mark Stein's Last Call.
0: For some Americans, there will be empty seats around the table this Thanksgiving because of the actions of a sick racist hater on the streets of a Wisconsin city. For other Americans, there will be empty seats around the table for a multitude of other reasons, death from COVID or merely fear of COVID and fear of living. And for some families like mine, all the aunts and uncles and cousins are far away in other lands. And prevented from joining us by all the restrictions on freedom of movement we have come to accept since CHICOM 19 came blasting out of Wuhan. So in the absence of a big family Thanksgiving in reality, let us create the ultimate family Thanksgiving in historical memory.
1: I have changed. We've often rewound the clock since the Puritans got a shock when they landed on Plymouth.
0: Indeed, let's rewind the clock to Plymouth Rock. As mentioned earlier, the death toll among the Mayflower passengers who made it to the New World was terrible in that first year. But enough of them survived and prospered, and this is their family Thanksgiving in November 1621 and over the river and through the wood and across a continent down through the decades. We're going to need a lot of turkeys and a lot of Pumpkin pie. Here are John Alden, the cruise cooper, aboard the Mayflower, who elected to stay in Plymouth Colony when the ship returned to England, and his young bride Priscilla Mullins, who lost her entire family, father, stepmother, brother, during that first brutal winter in America. John and Priscilla's daughter Elizabeth, said to be the first white woman born in New England, is also here and so are her children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, including the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow who made his forebears John and Priscilla Alden famous. In his great work, The Courtship of Miles Standish. Here is Mr. and Mrs. Alden's third daughter, Ruth, and her children and grandchildren and great grandchildren, including America's second president, John Adams, and America's sixth president, John Quincy Adams, and America's 30th president, Calvin Coolidge. Oh, keep cool, and keep cool it's just a of today. Keep
1: cool, and keep cool it's for
0: the USA. And here is Richard Warren, who sailed alone on the Mayflower and then, having settled himself at Plymouth Colony, sent for his wife and children from England. And here they are with their children's children and their children's children's children, including America's 18th president, Ulysses S. Grant, and America's 32nd president.
1: And Franklin Roosevelt looks good
0: a thrill. Oh, and on the Loyalist side, the Dominion of Canada's sixth Prime Minister, Sir Charles Tupper. Here are John and Eleanor Billington, who sailed on the Mayflower with their two rowdy sons, John and Francis, who loosed squibs aboard and fired off a musket inside the ship while it was anchored off Cape Cod. And they have their families down through the generations with them, including America's 20th president, James Garfield. And Stephen Hopkins is here. He had been shipwrecked at Bermuda in 1609 and journeyed on to the starving colony at Jamestown before it was abandoned. But he liked what he saw, and a decade later, he returned to the New World with his wife Elizabeth and their children and their servants. And they are here with their children and their children's children's children on down the years, including America's 22nd vice president, Levi Morton, who was the US Minister to France, placed in 1881 the first rivet in what would become the Statue of Liberty. And William and Mary Brewster are here. And all their family, including America's 12th president, Zachary Taylor, and America's 30th vice president and occasional composer, Charles Gates Dawes. Many a
1: has to fall, but it's all in the game.
0: And America's 41st vice president, Nelson Rockefeller. And a vice presidential candidate, Sarah Palin. Drill, baby, drill. And John Howland, a manservant to Governor Carver, is here. And his bride, Elizabeth Tilly, with their ten children and all their children's family, including America's 41st president, George Bush. A thousand points of light. And America's 43rd president... George W. Bush. And you're working hard to put food on your family. Oh, but it's a big family with a lot of food to put on it. Let's go down the table and meet a few of the kids. Among Stephen and Elizabeth Hopkins Brood are Robert Treat Payne, signer of the Declaration of Independence and Colonel Lon Cushing, who defended the Union position on Cemetery Ridge at Gettysburg against Pickett's Charge. And General Leonard Wood, governor-general of the Philippines and of Cuba. And Mr. Hopkins' former indentured servant, Edward Doty is here with his clan, including Elif Allett Remington, founder of the Remington Arms Company, whose products it's best to keep away from the quick-tempered and rather argumentative Mr. Doty. With the countless bolt actions that have come and gone in America, You'd think it nearly impossible for one to stand out for more than a half century until you realize only one can be the most accurate out of the box. The legendary Model 700 from Remington. Let's move down to John and Elizabeth Howland's table for the young'uns. Here's Nathaniel Gorham, signer of the United States Constitution, and Phillips Brooks, rector of Trinity Church in Boston. Who gave us one of America's loveliest carols? Do you mind if uh, I take a couple of lines? Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee light. Oh, William Bradford, sometime governor of Plymouth Colony, is here. When the Mayflower arrived in the New World, the ship anchored and Mr. Bradford went off on one of the searching parties to find land suitable for a settlement. On his return to the ship, he was told that while the Mayflower was at anchor, his wife Dorothy had fallen overboard and drowned. But his second wife, Alice, is here and all their progeny, including lexicographer Noah Webster. You're much too much and just too very, very to ever be in Webster's Dictionary. And Deborah Sampson, who served in the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War. Wait, wait a minute, they had female combat soldiers back then. No, she disguised herself as a man and fought with the other men. And that's General McClellan across the table, commander of the Union forces in the Civil War, and George Eastman, inventor of the Kodak camera.
1: And now Kodak presents a holiday reminder from Betty White. So when you're out for holiday fun, be sure to take along an extra roll or two of color film so you can capture all the fun and color of your happy family day.
0: And Mr. Eastman's cousin, Charles Dana Gibson, illustrator and inventor of the Gibson girl phenomenon. Oh, and Hugh Hefner, whose girls left a lot less to the imagination than his kinsman Mr. Gibson's.
1: Been accused of exploiting the female body time and time again. I think sexism and racism are two very different kinds of things. Uh,
0: and the enduring film star, Clint Eastwood.
1: You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk?
0: It's Thanksgiving, Clint. We're all lucky. And Clint's across from his cousins, the novelist, Thomas Pynchon, and Superman himself, Christopher Reed. How's Thanksgiving going? Class,
1: not at all. I'd say it's been swell. Swell? Yeah.
0: Um, You know, Clark, um... There are very few people left in the world who feel comfortable singing. What word? Swell. And Alec Baldwin and Sally Field.
1: You like me right now. You like me.
0: Steady. Thanksgiving is a long day and it's easy to wear out your welcome. Just ask Alec. And that's Sally and Alec's cousin, Julia Child. Any tips? this day for your Plymouth Plantation forefathers. If you've never roasted a turkey before, looking at this great big animal, you'd say, gosh, what am I going to do with that? Oh, and that's Chief Justice William Rehnquist down at the end. No talk of Bush versus Gore, please. Not at the Thanksgiving table. Let's mosey over to the ranks of John and Eleanor Billington's little Very little in the case of Countess Lavinia Warren, just two foot six. She's here with her husband, General Tom Thumb, just three foot three. And thanks to P.T. Barnum, the two most famous dwarves on the American stage. And there's their distant cousin and fellow performer, Richard Gere, trying to interest them in a little light celebrity Buddhism. Francis Cook is here with all his posterity, including the great American folk artist, Grandma Moses, Isaac Allerton and his family sailed on the Mayflower and his children had children and their children had grandchildren and great-grandchildren, including Louis Comfort Tiffany, the great designer of the Tiffany lamp, and Mr. Tiffany's great-grandchild, the investor George Gilder. Let's cross to Richard and Elizabeth Warren's kiddies table. And there's Frances Perkins Wilson, the longest-serving U.S. Secretary of Labour and the first-ever female Cabinet Secretary. Oh, and William and Mary Brewster's clan. It's not just all those presidents and vice presidents we mentioned earlier. Here's the rest of the family. Catherine Hepburn and her singing kinsman Bing Crosby and Bing's bandleader brother Bob Crosby. I know Doc Fauci and co. say no singing at Thanksgiving anymore, but come on, Bing, Bob, we won't call the sheriff. Give us a quick burst of something for the day. I've got plenty to be thankful for. I haven't got a great big yacht to sail from shore to shore. Still, I've got plenty to be thankful for. Hey, don't knock those vessels sailing from shore to shore. Oh, and just across the table, here's Bing's cousin, Vermont Governor Howard Dean. How about one of your favourite numbers? You know something? Not only are we going to New Hampshire, we're going to South Carolina, and Oklahoma, and Arizona, and North Dakota, and New Mexico!
1: We're going to California, and Texas, and New York! And we're going to South Dakota, and Oregon, and Washington, and Michigan! And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White
0: House! Yeah! Yeehaw, great stuff for Thanksgiving. Oh, and here's Howard's cousin the actress Ashley Judd get up and give us one of the old favourites Ashley
1: I am a nasty woman
0: Uh, I'm not sure about that one to be honest let's thread our way through the tables and come back to where we started to John and Priscilla Alden and their children and grandchildren and great 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 grandchildren including Dick Van Dyke primitive hand-hued furniture dick, and Orson Welles. Say, how does America compare to Europe, Orson?
1: In Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce?
0: The cuckoo clock. So long, Holly. Oh, and Marilyn Monroe. Oh. Do
1: it again. I may say no, 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 but do it again.
0: Oh, I can't do it again, Marilyn. There's too many presidents and vice presidents, and governors and Canadian prime ministers and Greek crown princesses and poets and painters, soldiers and starlets. Down through the years, one grand family tree planted in the soil of a new world four centuries ago. And as I told my friend Tucker the other night, it's always tickled me that John and Priscilla Alden's descendants in America include not only John Adams and Calvin Coolidge and Marilyn Monroe, but also my small town in New Hampshire's north country, my small town's volunteer fire chief, and his dad, the overseer of the poor, one of the many elected offices in small town government that do not require foreign voting machines to tally the winner. And you should hear those two sing Do It Again, by the way. one great American family, and all descended from the survivors of the Mayflower, its long voyage, and that first brutal winter, the men and women who gathered to eat and drink and give thanks four centuries ago. You don't have to trace your lineage that far back and be a cousin of Bing Crosby and Howard Dean. As I said at the start of the show, you can be all on your own some, and at this time of year, someone will invite a poor, lonely Canadian boy to share their table. So forget, just for a day, about the civilizational vandals and the monsters they have loosed upon the land. Pull up a chair next to Noah Webster, grab a piece of pie and ask him for the definition of that most American of holiday words, Thanksgiving. Stay safe, stay free, stay thankful.
1: Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.